Amen. Thank you for that choir. Let's go ahead and, uh, church, let's grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church, and they are going to go with Miss Cindy this morning. Last week, we looked at Paul's report to the church in Philippi, and he gave them a quick rundown of his current situation. And we're going to pick up this morning with that story and that letter. So if you're there in Philippians chapter 1, you can say word. We're going to go ahead and start in the second part of verse 18, the word of the Lord. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for this morning to come and to worship you. Lord, as we turn to this letter from Paul, let us hear the message that you have for us this morning. Lord, be with us. Let us clear our hearts and our minds so that we can hear your truth, your word. And Lord, we do pray that those that are not with us this morning are able to take time to spend time in your word as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is Joy in Life. Joy in Life. And there is a note sheet in your bulletin where you can go ahead and follow along with us if you'd like. But we titled today's message, Joy in Life. In 2003, Aaron Ralston was hiking in Utah, and he was hiking through these caverns when a boulder fell and captured his arm between the boulder and the wall. And he spent six days trying to get loose from this boulder. He tried everything from just ripping the arm out to trying to dislodge the boulder to even dislocating and breaking his arm, and nothing was working. And after six days, he had a tough choice that he had to make. Am I going to stay stuck or am I going to take some action? He finally decided that he had no choice and he pulled out a multi-tool out of his pocket. And some of you men probably are familiar with these if you aren't carrying one now. And he opened it up to that little itty bitty knife that he has. And he decided to amputate his own arm. Already exhausted from six days of pain and extremely dehydrated and now bleeding from a severed arm, he still had to rappel down a cliff and hike eight more miles before he would find help. Years later, he would write an autobiography titled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And I would say that that pretty much sums up the situation that he was in. But this story can teach us something else as well. And that's that as humans, we will do some incredible things to survive and to live. We'll spend money on the best doctors. We will undertake radical changes to our eating habits. And we'll move even to particular climates and even sever off our own body parts to live. But more than that, 
More than what we're willing to do to live, we must answer, what do I live for? What do I live for? We notice in our passage this week that Paul's perspective changes. His focus shifts. Last week was a look at his current state, and he ended the last set of verses saying, in that I rejoice. It's Paul's current focus. But starting with this passage, he's shifting from a present focus to a future focus. I will rejoice. Paul is changing to talk about the future and the things that will come for the church of Philippi and for him and for the hope that they will act in the right way when those tough moments arrive. And he gives them both an ambition and a vision for, the, for life as Christians. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's go back to our Bibles, starting in verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The first thing we need to see is the Christian's ambition which is to honor Christ, honor Christ. Paul lays out not only what his ambition is, but what the ambition of the people should be. And he gives us three specific actions that we should do to honor Christ. The first one, the first way that we can honor Christ is by rejoicing in Christ consistently. Rejoicing in Christ consistently. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul shifts, as we said, from this current perspective of I am rejoicing to a future plan for rejoicing. He's already covered the present situation, but now he wants to focus on plans for the future. What are your plans for the future? This is a question we've probably all been asked before at major times in our lives during those big life moments. Coming to the end of school, what are your plans for after you graduate? Trying to get into college? What are your plans for the future? What will you use your degree for? Getting married? What are your plans for where you will live? What church you will attend? When you will have kids? What are your plans? Kids are getting ready to move out of the home. What are your plans for empty nesting? Coming to the end of a career? What are your plans for post-retirement? No matter what plans you have already set or will set in the future, let me ask you this. What would change about your life if we made our number one goal to rejoice in Christ? What would happen? What would change? Choosing to rejoice in Christ amidst our suffering shows what we really value is in heaven and not here on earth. Habakkuk set an amazing example for us in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit of the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I take my joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Job also set a good example in chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul's trials drove him to prayer, but not despair. What are your trials causing you to do? We all have them. 
What are we doing in those moments? Are we praying or are we pouting? Are we praising or are we protesting? We must be honest about where we are, and there are trials in this church. I know that for sure. We have people facing health issues, people dealing with the loss of loved ones, people that either are or have struggled with infertility. As long as we are living in this world, there will be troubles, but we must plan for what will I do when those troubles come? What will I do when those unexpected moments hit? Do you know why law enforcement and the military train as hard as they do? It's so in those high-risk moments, those, those intense moments where they have to make a decision, they've already trained their body to act. We were watching, I was going down memory lane watching a bunch of Marine Corps boot camp videos because I'm a nerd. And we're watching these on YouTube and Katie's like, why are they always yelling? It's to train you for when the bullets start flying, you don't freeze. You can act. You can think clearly. You've already prepared your body and your mind to do those things. I can't express this enough. Satan wants to destroy you. And if we haven't spent time preparing for those moments, training our bodies, our hearts, and our minds, when the trial comes, we will freeze. We must rejoice in Christ consistently. But secondly, we honor Christ by relying on Christ completely. Relying on Christ completely. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul gives us the source of his joyful confidence, the prayers of the Philippians and the sufficiency of the Spirit. Let this be a lesson to us to never underestimate the power of prayer to encourage and strengthen a believer. We hear testimonies about this all the time. I could list off countless names in this church of people that have expressed that our prayers in their time of difficulty have strengthened them and lift them up. I'm part of a group of Christian men from throughout the world at this point. It was just in this country, but now it's throughout the world. And there's a part of this group where we can send prayers back and forth daily. And there's something powerful about saying, men, I need prayer for this. And knowing within a few minutes, you'll have dozens of men going, I'm praying for you right now. There's something powerful about knowing that people are praying for you. There's something powerful about the prayer of believers. But far more than that, there's something powerful in knowing the sufficiency of the Spirit. It may seem to you as you're going through a problem, like your problem is bigger than could possibly be handled. This is bigger than I could ever deal with. Even as a pastor, some people come to me with things that I'm like, I don't know how to help you right now. Paul is in prison far from those he's writing to. There is literally nothing they can do to get him out of his situation in that moment. But Paul says that's okay because the Spirit has this. There is nothing too big for the Spirit. You have never once brought a problem to God where he looks at Jesus in the Spirit and says, I got nothing. You guys got anything? There's nothing that's too big for God. The Spirit is perfectly sufficient, providing exactly what you need in that moment. Paul maintains his joy through the prayers of the Philippians and trusting God. And there's two applications that we can take away from this about prayer. The first one is that we need to note the relationship between prayer and God's provision of the Spirit. 
Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. James reminds us that prayer is effectual. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Paul told the Corinthians that God was using their prayers to help them in his great trials. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 5 and then 8 through 11. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. But he also asked other churches he wrote to to pray for him. Romans 15.30, I appeal to you, brothers, by your Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Ephesians 6, 18 through 19, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. And 2 Thessalonians 3.1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Paul really believed like the other apostles and the church fathers that prayer actually works. It actually provides strength to his servants. Do we believe in the effectiveness of prayer? We should. Paul wasn't timid in asking for prayers, and we shouldn't be either. I had a friend reach out to me last week, and he shared that he had been going through something. It's a a group of us. And he shared that he has been going through a medical diagnosis where he's losing his sight, and there's nothing he can do. And he said, he apologized in this moment. He's going through this thing and he said, you know what I realized? I have robbed you of the ability to pray for me, of the blessing to pray for me. And I've robbed myself of the blessing of knowing that you're praying for me. Let's ask others to pray for us and let's pray for others when they ask because it does work. Prayer is powerful. The second thing is we need to notice Paul's apparent meditation on scripture and his prayer. Paul seems to have Job in mind as he reflects on his situation. And this led him to trusting God and pouring out his heart to God as Job did. And if Paul meditates on scripture in the midst of suffering, how much more should we? Don't think for one second that you can go through anything in this world without scripture. You need God's word to sustain you in your trials. I'm so incredibly thankful that Pastor Phil puts so much emphasis on the word in this church because nothing else has the power to change hearts and minds. This alone is what has the power to change lives. This is the most valuable tool 
that you have in your toolkit. Yet so frequently when trials come, we stop getting into the word and then wonder why we don't feel refreshed. I have real bad migraines, and I think they're caused by several things. Sinus, and my wife would say a mixture of me not drinking enough water, and frequently I'll, I'll have a headache, and she can tell when I have one, and she'll, she'll ask me, have you been drinking enough water? Okay, mind your own business. I'll drink water when I need to. But frequently, that's the issue. The term living water is used in the Bible to refer to Jesus, who is the living word. So why would we assume in the desert of trial that we could avoid the water God has given us and then wonder why we feel spiritually dehydrated. The third way that we honor Christ is by representing Christ courageously. By representing Christ courageously. Verses 20 and 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul uses the word hope, he doesn't mean it in the way that we often use the word hope. I hope the Cowboys will eventually win a Super Bowl. I hope that it's not going to rain this afternoon. I hope that I'm going to win the lottery tonight. Paul's not using the word hope in that fashion. He is believing in what he's saying. He is confident because he knows the sufficiency and the sovereignty of God. Paul's goal is simply to honor Christ, whether that is in life and continued service to God or death and getting to come and worship Christ in person. Either way, I'm going to represent Christ. See, he isn't concerned about his reputation, but about Jesus' reputation. He isn't worried about his safety, but of the proclamation of his King. This is how we honor Jesus above all things. We care more about his glory than our glory. And I, I understand that this is hard to connect with because we've been desensitized by the safety of the country that we live in because we have to face it. We're not in danger of being killed for our beliefs. We're not in danger of being jailed for sharing the gospel. But we've grown largely lethargic in our religious freedom from being overtly evangelical. We justify why we can't share the gospel. I might lose my job. My waitress might spit in my food. The culture may not like me. See, Paul is facing an execution squad and he says, I'm good either way, boys. Either I stay here or I go. It's all for Christ's glory. What's your labor like? We can't say that we are living for Christ if there's no labor for Christ. But we also need to see the grace in this letter. Later on in chapter 12, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Are we always going to live perfectly for Christ? No. We are going to fail each and every day. We are going to fall short every single time we get up. 
We're going to sin. We're going to miss opportunities to give Christ the glory. But each and every day, we need to clothe ourselves in God's grace and then resolve to live for him faithfully before a watching world. Paul gives us a great example of how to do this. You can almost imagine yourself in the room with Paul and the guards. Hey, Paul, we don't like your Messiah and we're going to kill you. That'd be great. Dying is gain. Bring it on. On second thought, we're going to allow you to live. Fantastic. Living means fruitful, joyous labor. Well, we're going to let you live, but we're also going to make you suffer. Hey, guys, I consider it the sufferings of this present world not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It would fill me with joy to suffer for his name. Do you see this, the power of this perspective? Kill me, I'll be with Christ. Let me live, I'll live for Christ. Make me suffer, I'll experience joy and get rewarded by Christ. This is an unstoppable mentality that Paul writes this letter. It can be ours too if we treasure Christ above all things. The world is watching. So let's show them the joy that can be experienced by living for Christ. But Paul also provides us with a vision. The Christian's vision is being with Christ. Being with Christ. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul has found a love that is far greater and more rewarding than life itself. The vision of being with Christ inspired him to endure regardless of whatever they're going to do to him. You can break down Paul's decision process in really three steps. The first one is we see Paul's dilemma. Paul's dilemma in verses 22 and 23. For to, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Paul sees legitimate value and benefit in both options. If I stay, I get the privilege of continuing to do the work of God. But if I depart, I get to worship in the presence of the Savior. There really is no downside in staying or going. But secondly, we see Paul's desire in the second part of verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Doing work for Christ is great. Serving his church is great. Serving his people is great. Evangelizing to a lost world is great. But nothing, nothing holds a candle to being in the presence of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8 says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with life here on earth, but as Christians, we must be confident that there is something far better after this life. And then finally, we see Paul's decision. 
verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Even though death is better, Paul decided that he should stay for the benefit of the body of Christ. So let me ask you two questions aimed at believers from this verse. One, are you serving others? Are you serving others? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says that it's necessary on their account that he remain in the flesh. Necessary. Let me ask you this. Is it necessary for you to stay at your church? If you left, would people miss you? Paul isn't saying that the world will fall apart if he leaves, just as the world won't fall apart if we leave. But he's asking, would the body mind if you were gone? If you take my arm, I'm going to miss it. And if you take my ear, I'm going to miss it. This head would look really weird without ears. But would the church miss you? Are you serving? Paul says, I'm going to stay and serve. That's why I'm living. Can you say this? Secondly, are you serving for the progress and joy of others? Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What a wonderful way to think about ministry. Striving so that others may rejoice in all that is theirs in Christ. Can you identify with that mission? Do you think about living daily for the benefit of others' progress and for the increase of their joy? Are we living with a mindset of how can I bring others into greater relationship with Jesus? These are questions that every single one of us has to answer. Do you realize in verse 21, Paul's words in the original contain no verbs? It literally says, to live Christ, to die, gain. This isn't just simply stuff you do. It's his identity. The sentence starts with the words, for me. And we all have to answer this ultimate question. Verse 21 becomes a valuable test for the Christian life. For me to live is what? Fill it in. Fill in the blank. For me to live is what? And to die is what? Fill it in. We all do it. For me, to live is money, and to die is to leave it all behind. For me, to live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. For me, to live is to work, and to die is to leave all the tasks uncompleted. For me, to live is power, and to die is to lose it all. What is it for you? In this short life, what will you live for and what will you die for? If you're a Christian, then your answer should be to live for Christ and to look forward to the day that we are with him in heaven. But if you aren't a believer, maybe your life doesn't have that hope. Maybe you are stuck trying to find your meaning and your purpose and nothing fills the hole that you feel. You know why? Because we're designed in the womb to have a hole in our heart and the only thing that fits that hole is Jesus Christ. So if you're trying to fill it with work, if you're trying to fill it with relationships, if you're trying to fill it with identity issues, whatever it is, 
Nothing's going to fill that hole besides Jesus. But this isn't about religion. You may even say, of course I'm a Christian. I've come to church my whole life. It's not about church attendance. That's important, but it's not ultimate. It's about a relationship with the Savior. And there's only one name that saves, and that's Jesus Christ. So do you have relationship or do you have religion? See, Paul had a relationship with his Lord that led him to dedicate his life to God and to serving him. But we have to notice that Paul's life didn't start with relationship. It started with religion. See, he thought he was doing good things for God. He thought he was serving God's church. But then he had a personal encounter with Jesus. And his desire to protect his religion turned into a desire to serve others. For you to live is what? And for you to die is what? Will you pray with me? Father God, these are hard questions that we have to ask. But Lord, we do desire to live for you. Lord, whatever we've allowed to take the number one place in our hearts, we ask that we will confess that and that we will live with undying devotion to you. Let you be our sole focus. But Father, if there's someone here that has been living in religion instead of relationship, Lord, I'm going to ask that you meet them today. That you give them a Paul-like encounter where they can see that it's no longer about religion, but it's about relationship. Lord, that you will save them and that you will bring them into relationship with you. Father, let everything that we do be for your glory and for your kingdom and to see people come to faith in your son. Lord, we pray this in the only name that we know how, the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In a few moments, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take communion. But right now, let this be a time to do work with the Lord. If you have allowed something to enter your heart that is sitting in the place that Jesus wants to sit in, let this be a time to work with him. If you need prayer, I'm going to be down here on the floor to pray with you. And we want to walk with you in this. Because Jesus is the only way. Let us dedicate our lives to him as we prepare our hearts.